Hello and welcome to The Point of Everything. Today on the show is Luke Riley, aka Blood Donor, whose debut album Autofiction came out at the start of October. Before we get into the tracks on that album though, let's take a listen to his debut single Bienvenue, which came out about three years ago. used to be the frontman in Otherkin, a Choice Prize-nominated band who released two albums, OK and Deutschland KO, and called it a day at the end of 2019. Otherkin also featured David Anthony Curley on bass. He's currently one half of The Cope, who I haven't stopped raving about since the summer. They released their debut album, Dancer, on December 8th. They're all still mates the other kin lads but you'll hear luke talk about why they finished up at the start of our chat and then we talk about how blood donor grew out of it and we'll talk through each of the 10 tracks that comprise auto fiction tony clayton lay reviewing the album for the irish times said auto fiction has been a long time coming the difference in song structure between past music and new is remarkable and intriguing where other kin at their best could power wash granite slabs from mildewed green to sparkling honey, Blood Donor take a smoother route. Blood Donor play a show with a full five-piece band at the Sound House in Dublin on November 16th. Luke says they're going to play the whole album front to back alongside some new tunes, so maybe you can consider this podcast your primer for that show. I feel like all gigs need some sort of a primer podcast so let me be your guide we'll hear some tracks from auto fiction once we start talking about it track by track around 10 minutes or so into the interview you can buy the album at blooddonor.bandcamp.com but first let's take a listen to bad advice by other kin so you can get acquainted with them if you haven't already and we'll get into the chat with luke riley aka blood donor on the point of everything Here we go. 
Other Ken, uh, I never got to talk to you guys while you were a going concern. Mm. You broke up at the end of 2019. I was at your farewell show in Cork. How do you feel looking back on the whole thing? Let's try and uh, co- cover it in like <laughs> the first few minutes of the chat. Uh, it was certainly an experience I wouldn't trade for the world. Yeah, hindsight is twenty twenty. There were things I would have probably done differently. You know, just from the perspective, mainly I felt there was a bit of unrealized potential. But certainly at the time, splitting up was one of the easiest decisions that I've ever been involved <laughs> in. We had just kind of gone through the grinder a bit. We had run out of steam, I think. And it was certainly a bit of a relief when we finished. But uh, certainly the, the the five or six years when we were kind of in full swing was just a great experience and I loved being part of it. What are the highlight like when you're thinking about it are there like moments that jump out as like yeah that was that was worth it? Yeah touring for sure I just really enjoyed the experience of being with my friends in a sort of this kind of shared common pursuit you kind of do feel like you're in that sort of gang mentality us against the world so that was something I really enjoyed and just the gigs, I always, I always enjoyed the gigs and playing for the people. <laughs> um, but mainly, mainly, I think just seeing seeing different parts of the world and meeting people from from all walks, uh, that was kind of my favorite part of it. I think you said we would have done some things differently. Are there like things you're thinking about when you say that specifically? Yeah, I think for me, I feel like I only actually learned how to write songs after the game finished. Oh, okay. So that was something. I mean. There was an element of me that was never fully invested in the band either. What do you mean? In the sense that when Otherkin began, we sort of made, we made music that was very different to the music that featured on the album or that we became sort of known for. Like we made, we made a bit more left field sort of indie alternative kind of grungy music with kind of strange lyrics and some sometimes relatively non-conventional song structures. I mean, they weren't Mersbow or anything like that, but it was definitely a bit different to what we kind of then, we, we really stripped it down for when it came to the album and it was very kind of basic and, um, yeah, a bit more simplistic. So I kind of wish that I'd indulged that sort of further when I came to the album. So that that maybe is kind of a regret of mine. I, f- I feel like then, you know, I was I was also writing songs that I wasn't totally invested in I kind of was was writing them to sort of suit a brief as opposed to it kind of being internally coming from my own internal impulses did you know that at the time or is it just like looking back yeah I think retrospectively it it, it's easier to acknowledge probably part of me knew it at the time too and it was only really when when I looked back on the first album and this is actually when we were in Lutherkin and I was displeased with how it how it kind of how we did it is that just you or is it like the whole band you think or have you talked like have yeah you talked we, about it? we've kind of talked yeah. about it a bit i think i think it would be there would be differing opinions on it but it wouldn't be i wouldn't be exceptional in terms of thinking that and it was really when the first album came out and then we kind of wanted to rethink it all and that's when i kind of really got into production and even just like being more active in terms of songwriting um and then when we did the 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 other kin ep that was kind of our final release that was kind of more so when we were verving towards what what I thought is more of a realization of what we could do, um, like songs like Tombstone, which is the first song we came back with. I really felt renewed by that kind of song and that sort of direction, and I thought it was a quite novel. And I, 
I think unfortunately people have probably made up, made their minds up about us at that point and we were sort of written off. That's that's probably the vein I would have liked to have continued in. Just something a bit more idiosyncratic and more identifiably ourselves, whereas I thought the first album was derivative. <laughs> but it's all like good memories when you're yeah. when you're looking back. Yeah, absolutely. I mean I think it's just it's just an honest critique of my own work. I mean, if I was involved in another line of work, which I currently am, you know, I look back on my performance and reflect on how I've done. And it, it to be fair, it doesn't it doesn't negatively color the experience for me. It's just me being honest about um, how I felt. I did. Um, like it really was just a really special time for me and like my three best pals who are still my three best pals. And certainly, there's a door open for us probably to do something again in the future. And we talk about it quite a bit. And I'd love, I'd, I'd actually love to come back at it and just have that sort of, because now I feel like I know how to write songs and I'm very active in terms of songwriting. And um, I'd love to just give that another crack at some point with the, with the guys. I think I remember seeing that you were like, you know, if, if we don't like kind of crack it by 30, you know, we're going to go back to our main job or like get a proper job. Was that you guys? I think that was you guys. Um, you kind of like had almost like a deadline. If we didn't make it, we kind of end the band. Like. I'm not sure if we ever said it explicitly, but we probably maybe hinted at that somewhat. Yeah. And that is kind of what we did, to be fair. You know, we, we, we sort of sensed that it wasn't going the way we wanted it to and wasn't likely to. And I think we kind of considered it better to burn out than fade away. Um, and I'm kind of really happy in the terms that we've left it in like it was it was definitely just a kind of okay we're done we're going to play two final shows we're going to bring out the ep and we're going to leave it at that your final show was at button factory yeah the final the final final show was in galway but we did the button factory the day before and just yeah i i always that was the the arena i felt that the kin always excelled in was uh our live show was always really really strong that's why i just would have liked to have been able to translate that to to you know the songwriting the recording but you know, that's it's just the way it goes sometimes. Yeah, I remember seeing you guys. I think it was a Clannacilty International Guitar Festival in the Bars, and I thought, you're yeah, you're such a good live band. Mm, yeah, for sure. I think that was our kind of bread and butter, and it's it was for me it was the most enjoyable part. Yeah, you're crowd sur- you're crowd surfing all the time, <laughs> yeah. and jumping up on people's shoulders and stuff. No injury, no like bad. No bad. I cracked a rib before, <laughs> and uh, no, no, it was fine. Apart from cracking a rib. Yeah, I cracked a rib, and then also actually the worst one that I had was we were playing in. Um, Vega in in Groningen in Holland, which is a really legendary venue. I was in the crowd and I was stood up because I'd crowd surf and came down onto the ground. But in order to play my guitar and be able to like actually maneuver through the crowd, I had to hold it up at an angle like this. And I remember turning around and there was a bit of a circle, and this guy just runs straight towards me and uh, like bumps into the guitar. And the, you know, the kind of horn of the guitar at the top, it just went straight into my nose. And uh, I just crawled back on stage and I was like, probably concussed almost. And I looked down on my guitar and it was just like blood streaming down all over the guitar. <laughs> and uh, luckily it was our last song. So I finished and I went, went backstage and I was really dazed. My friend's uh, girlfriend was like putting ice on my nose and and whatnot and then Eamon who is our tour manager sound engineer he came in and he was like listen do you mind but there's a there's a young guy here and he'd like to take a photo with you and I was literally just covered in blood and absolutely like out of it and I was like yeah sure why not 
<laughs> so me and this guy just taking a photo. I think I'm literally holding an ice pack to my nose in the photo. Do you uh, have the photo? I bet no, looks, the, oh. the kid has it. Yeah, I'd love to see it. Yeah, I bet that looks class. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys ended in November 2019. Mm. Pandemic hits. I'm guessing like that's when you start thinking about a solo thing. Had you been thinking about it beforehand? Yeah, I had kind of been... Uh, a lot of a lot of material that I had been writing was kind of being touted for other kin anyway, but it was definitely a little, you know, kind of conflicted with what the spirit of other kin was. Like it was other kin was more of a rock band where Blood Donor is, for the most part, like very unabashedly pop music. You know, so I was like, this probably won't work in some respect. So I had been mulling over doing a solo thing for quite a while anyway, and obviously when the band finished, it made that decision a little bit easier. And then yeah, COVID was. I know it was a a mixed bag for a lot of people but for me it was you know a bit of a blessing in terms of having the time to be able to record and write the album because I have a or I had a, a, a you know a home studio downstairs here with loads of really good gear in it and I just got cracking on it and kind of knocked out the, the whole album over the course of maybe about six months or so wow yeah so it was really it was really it was a great productive time for me wow you didn't like struggle with the beginnings of it or anything no. you already had it in your head what you wanted yeah. the donor to be yeah and not not even like even now i just um it, it was so weird because when i was another kid i felt like i couldn't write stuff you know like when, when we wrote music it was always together in a room I, it was rare that i was bringing fully formed songs in until it came to the end of Otherkin and then like a lot of the stuff in the EP, I would have been just, okay, here's a song I have and I've, I've produced a, a good bit of it already. But now it's, I just, I, I find it really easy to write music. Like I wish I didn't have a job now because I can just write, like I have a second album pretty much written. I just need to find the time to record it. So yeah, it's one of those kind of cruel twists of fate. <laughs> I guess that we'll touch on like loads of stuff maybe as we talk through sure. um, the album. So we'll talk through the song, the album song by song, track by track and touch on various bits and pieces. First of all, do you want to talk about maybe the name Blood Donor, the name Autofiction, why you decided to call them that? Yeah, so Blood Donor was, uh, I can't, so that that's actually a name that I've had for years. What I used to do was um, I used to submit demos to the guys in Lutherkin and I set up a, a SoundCloud just to share those demos. And that was just a name I randomly chose. I just liked how it sounded. Um, so I probably had that SoundCloud name probably since like 2010 or something. And then when it came to me actually deciding to go I solo, I was like, okay, why don't I just retain this name? I like the the symmetry of it, you know, when mm. you stack it on top of each other with the five letters. I think it's just a... I was in um, uh, Other Voices last year because I was playing at it. And uh, I was beside some guy at the bar that I didn't know. And he was looking through um, the, the pamphlet of the listings or whatever. And he just goes, Blood Donor? That's a great name. I was like, thank God you said that. It could have been a bit awkward had you said, that's a crap name. Uh, and then autofiction. So, yeah, the inspiration behind that was that the, the, the lyrics to the songs are almost 50% autobiographical and then 50% you know, imagine characters kind of like Matt Berenger from The National would do. Like they're not entirely autobiographical in some respects. So I just thought it was kind of a combination because um, autofiction, that's what that means is to kind of have an autobiographical element to the, the work you're creating, but it also is inter interleavened with fiction. So it was just a natural album title for me to choose because it just portrays the lyrics quite accurately i was very miffed when i saw that suede released an album four months ago called oh, no. fiction uh. yeah <laughs> and i actually sent it to some guy um 
who I won't name, to review the album or like just to help me get it out there. And his reply, even though I sent him all the music and all the details about me, his reply was just, you do know Suede brought out an album three months ago with this title. And I was like, oh yeah, well I only thought about the album title like one month ago, obviously. Um, so yeah. <laughs> I presume you've had like the vinyl for a while. Like, a while, you? yeah. You've got to like plan ahead for this sort of a thing, don't you? Yeah. Like actually getting the vinyl produced. I've had the title for years and... Um, when I announced it or was telling my friends about it, Oshin from Thumper was really annoyed because he was actually going to name his album Auto Fiction. So he had to rename his too. He's probably getting, yeah, he'd be getting emails saying, you know, Blood Donor released an album. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, is that 50% real life and 50% fiction like a specific kind of almost challenge that you set yourself lyrically or is it kind of like a, a you know, a, a mix? Or yeah, something? it was more retrospective. It was after I kind of looked at the lyrics that I thought, oh, this is a collision of fiction and my actual life. So um, that's how I arrived upon the title. My mind's a razor blade, but it seems to like you. Coming up with the same mistakes every weekend night. Tell me about Sisters and Brothers, the opening track on the album. I'm always interested in like why people choose specific songs to open, open it. Album. Yeah, I actually had a different opener for quite a while, and then it was when I sent it to and my friend Eamon, who we were talking about earlier. He's the Scratches manager, and he was a tour manager and a sound engineer for Otherkin for years, and a very close friend of mine. I sent it to him, and he was like, "Why isn't this track the first one?" Because it was it was. Initially, when I had the track listing, it went from kind of bright and breezy to the more moodier stuff in the album. Uh, and Sisters and Brothers kind of fit the more moodier profile. So it was initially track seven, but he was like, no, no, it's a, it's a kind of a stomper. Like, I think you should just come out of the gates with it. So I, I moved it to, to first really late in the process. Like, all the vinyl artwork had to be rearranged to accommodate it at number one. But... Uh, yeah, I think I think it's a it's a good kind of almost statement of intent in a way, and I like that it's um, it's it's probably one of the more alternative songs on the album. Like it's a little, you know, it starts out with a very distorted electric piano, and it's a bit like a dance song in a way. That was one of the songs that was uh, written in mind of the later Otherkin stuff when we kind of were moving into uh, like Tombstone was quite an industrial song with uh, with dance elements. We'd worked with the Chemical Brothers producer, and it was kind of we were really in that world and we were listening to a lot of like Gasafelstein and um, a lot of the French stuff, you know, like Justice, we were huge on. So that was kind of feeding into to my process as I was making the song and I just came up with that. Dun, 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 dun. It's just it's just a bit of a banger to kind of get things going until it settles into a bit of more chill groove and then we kind of work our way back up again mm-hmm. in the second half of the album. Is it all you on the album? Are there other musicians involved in it? Uh, it's virtually... Well, there are drummers involved. I played drums on Sisters and Brothers and then one song called Near to Heaven, but then I had uh, Michal Quinn, who plays oh, Melty right. Rains. He, he, he played um, on a good few tracks. 
and then uh, another drummer, Rob Kennedy, he played. Aside from that, I think it's virtually all me. There's, I think, Dave from Otherkin and The Cope. He plays bass on one of the songs uh, and he wrote the bass line, but everything else is me. Is that what you wanted from the album? Did you do you see it as a solo project? Yeah, totally, yeah. I mean, I'm very... I love collaborating with other people, but I actually rarely like collaborating on something that's actually mine in some respect. Like, I like, you know, if I write a song with somebody, I kind of want it to be not something that I had prepared, you know, just like, let's see what we can do in the in the room or, or whatever. Because when it comes to my own stuff, I'm always very protective of it. And I kind of, I, I, I also have quite a strong vision of how I want my music to go and when people kind of offer other ideas I'm always even though it's probably really good I can never remove that lens that I have of my own bias towards my stuff and I'm like yeah this is cool but (laughs) I kind of know that I will you know to be fair a lot of the time when people contribute I do like what they do but um I kind of for for this certainly the manifestos I want to do it all myself and because you you have a lot more license to just indulge your wacky ideas that sound <laughs> that sound dreadful initially and it's really hard when you're in a room with four other people to say no just wait like it might take me an hour to get this um, but uh yeah a lot easier when you're you know in a little darkened dungeon by yourself yeah like I'll, I'll say probably a couple of times through the chat but like there's killer guitar line uh throughout brothers and sisters mm. um is i mean i'm guessing that that's like your main instrument but you were fine playing all of the other instruments like all of them you're pretty like you're taken with them yeah yeah I love I I love playing piano I think it's probably the most complete instrument but it's something I'd be very you know you know like pigeon English it's for me it's pigeon piano like it's very crude and I'm self-taught um well same with guitar I suppose yeah I just love just love the sounds he can produce and I love well most of the songs in the album are actually just written on piano anyway so I just have a melody that would come into my head and then I would transpose that onto piano with the right hand and then just use the left hand to find the chords and it was a really good way of just building very complete and very sensible melodies and songs um and because that that's really really important for me is that and it probably turns some people off my music because it's very it's like super melodic the whole time like for me it's the most important aspect of songwriting or what I, what I gravitate to because you know I grew up listening to Spice Girls to um like you know just super melodic music and it's always like pop has just always been such a huge fixture for me and these songs that you connect with like I've been listening a lot to she's or what's it called um still the one by Shania Twain like it's just absolute masterclass in songwriting and just the pleasure principle you know it's like just this melody that just makes sense as its own thing um so that's been an obsession of mine for quite a while and certainly something that I carry into the songwriting and making sure that this, the melody is complete and it tells its own story just melodically and then harmonically, obviously, too. So, um, oh yeah, I would just labour on the, the actual, the the connection between the melody and the harmony for ages and then I'm, I, I was like, okay, I'm going to start writing uh, lyrics or I'm going to start actually recording the music. Although I say Sisters and Brothers is actually probably one of the least melodic songs on the record because it's more like, but uh, everything else gradually gets more melodic. Sundown girl and you're living in a world for one I said it's on 
So Lonely Street is the second track on the album talking about laughs in the video chat was that made up kind of hints of lockdown in, in yeah. that song you mentioned earlier how you felt after other kin you kind of got better at writing mm. lyrics is that just teaching yourself it during the lockdown I'm, gu- I'm guessing that like lockdown equals this album sort of thing yeah that that was when I was talking about my kind of dissatisfaction with the other kind of stuff earlier that was one of the main things I felt like I just didn't write lyrics that really that I was kind of proud of or reflected you know what I feel like I'm capable of saying I, I don't think I have any grand message to say I'm just like a a normal like middle class white guy from Ireland like I don't have a, a big story to tell you know I don't think anybody should be particularly interested in what I have to say and that's why I kind of put it into melodies but um, it was something I just really became super conscious of um I'd be good friends with Sergey Richardson, and she's like the, the master of those diaristic lyrics. And I'd, I, I also became obsessed with Johnny Mitchell over lockdown too, and just really it kind of reinvigorated my sense of how important lyrics are to the experience of enjoying music and and making the connection. Like melody is super important, obviously, but um, lyrics were something that I neglected for quite a while. So I wanted to tell stories and um, you know connect with people. How do you? kind of get better at lyric writing is it just trying to do it every day is it trying to read about how other people are doing it are you, are you doing all of that sort of thing trying to just improve it for yourself yeah I think I think j- just investing time and thought into it was the main thing for me and just not settling you know I think when we came to other kind of stuff I was probably guilty of just okay I've written some words that's fine without having too much perspective or you know critique after the fact whereas when it came to this album I guess I had more time because of COVID I just sat down and was like okay what kind of story do I want to tell how am I progressing the the narrative of this song as it goes over time yeah just just time and thought really I think is the main thing that I think improved my um, lyric writing and it's also kind of like a muscle the more you the more you flex it the, the stronger it becomes so I think that was a big thing for me just trying to spend as much time as I can most days just tipping away at it because th- that's what made my melody writing better I was like okay I'm writing songs every day I'm sharpening certain parts of songs and they're getting better so why wouldn't the same apply to lyrics you talk about the 50% of yourself and 50% of the the fiction in the song how did you find writing like the real stuff was it was that the stuff that came easier rather than the making stuff up is it hard to put yourself in the song in a way yeah sometimes it's easier just to invent you know because it makes things it adds a bit more drama I mean my life isn't particularly exciting <laughs> well it actually it, it can be at times <laughs> in terms of you know the main sort of fodder for lyric writing is typically romantic misadventure or you know kind of breakdown relationship but I had been in a very a very stable relationship at that time which has since broken up which is why lyric writing for my second album has been so much easier <laughs> <laughs> yeah I've just been writing like a maniac now that that's probably part of the reason why I decided to go down the route of inventing um, scenarios a little bit because it was, it was a way to kind of make things a bit more dramatic or enticing for the listener I didn't want it to be like disingenuous but um, I think I think it certainly helped me to actually kind of craft stories that were a bit more engaging for people to listen to. I'm thrilled with the running away. 
what is uh, Through With about? I kind of have it in my head that there's maybe a couple of songs on this album that might be about maybe other kin or maybe like previous band experience or something like a couple of lines I picked out from Through With or I'm Through With Running Away which is the first line mm. on it and later you're singing Couldn't Care That I'm In The Band is, yeah. it, is it about being in a band? Is it about like dreams unrealized or something like that <laughs> no it's it's actually that 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 song is kind of quite explicitly about my girlfriend at the time because we'd been five years together that line couldn't care that i'm in the band was essentially that she didn't actually care that i was in a band you know? which could go both ways good <laughs> good or bad yeah 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 she was not fussed about me being in a band whereas i think we can be guilty when we're in bands being like i'm in a band i'm so cool you know, and you have this sort of notion, the idea of yourself, where she just didn't give a crap. She didn't even think that we were that good. <laughs> um, that honesty can be good as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was <laughs> good to keep you grounded. Um, and we were five years together at that point, so that's why there's a lyric, five years flew by in a day. But yeah, so that that, that was explicitly, that's probably the most explicit love song on the album. It was kind of written as a tribute to where we were at at that point. Yeah, Suited Up for the Stage was kind of just the idea of just being ready, I think. I was ready to kind of commit further to what we were in at that point um yeah but maybe there are some kind of subconscious hints to <laughs> my other kind of experiences uh all the time in parentheses auto fiction is track number four the title track so i suppose yeah yeah that was because that was probably the most explicit it was called all the time just because i i, I thought for ages what am i going to call this song because the lyrics in the chorus are so you know it isn't what you came for which is just ugly track title um, and then all the time was just not really that sexy. It's just, you know, every, like virtually everybody has a song called All the Time and it, it just wouldn't stand out. You know, suede of a song called All the Time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Strokes of a song called All the Time. And uh, I was like, no. So uh, I called it autofiction because it's probably the most blatant use of the autofiction philosophy in the lyric writing. So that was kind of inspired by um, someone, someone got on to me this girl got on to me after I released one of my music videos and she essentially was like, oh, hey, do you want to go out for a drink sometime? It was while I was in the middle of a relationship. I should probably be careful about what I say here. I didn't do anything, but um, <laughs> it was just like, you know, sometimes we can fantasize about these things because I certainly found this girl attractive, but I was obviously in a committed relationship. It was kind of about that, that idea of, um, you know, she was going for a little bit but I had to stand back and I also used a healthy dose of autofiction in terms of just padding out the scene okay. because it was kind of me imagining what would or how the scenario would play out if there was kind of further interaction between me and her God I can't
Waking up in the emergency room is track number five. I guess the name Blood Donor makes you think of the hospital <laughs> anyway, but you went back to uh, medicine after other kin during COVID? Yeah, after, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Uh, during COVID, I, yeah. I presume that this is like a response to that? Mm, I can't remember why I decided to write this lyric, because this is, again, another example. This is probably more in the fictional world. I mean, I've never woken up in an emergency room I mean probably part of it was informed by the fact that I've worked as a doctor and kind of the experiences I've maybe seen and want to translate that into a song and some of it is like self-referential I mean there's one lyric um, they say you're depressed must have me confused with someone else that's probably a more personal line in the sense of whenever I've been depressed and kind of not sort of allowing myself to acknowledge that and kind of masking it as we all can do so well. Like, no, it must be somebody else. Yeah, so that, that that's another example. Autofiction, here we are. I mean, it's the perfect song, uh, album title, isn't it? Uh, but yeah, I would say definitely subconsciously inspired by my experiences of going back to medicine because that was a big um, that was a big life change and something that really was very difficult <laughs> for me to reacclimatize to as I came from, you know, six years of being in a band back to what is a very intense job. <laughs> so did you, you studied medicine after college? Or I studied, during college? During college, yeah, yeah. I studied, basically, that's how I met David, who's in the band. Me and him were in college together. Is uh, he a doctor too? He's a doctor too, oh, yeah, wow. yeah. We're in the band the kind of whole way through college, and then we got to our final year, and it was very fortuitous timing. I think a month before we did our final year exams, we got offered a record deal. So it was kind of like, okay, what are we going to do now? Um, bit of a no-brainer, to be honest. It was probably one of the easiest decisions I've ever made in my life. And, uh, yeah, so just decided to, obviously, uh, sign our souls away. And Is that how you look at it? No, no, not at all. I, I had a great experience with, with our record label. Shout out to Rubyworks. I actually went to the A&R guy, Roger's uh, retirement party a number of weeks ago. We had a really good experience with them. Um, They'd be Hosier's first label, wouldn't they? And Hosier's, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's still with them, yeah. I think that that's kind of my working theory. Because I think we were the first act signed after Hosier. So essentially they made a shed load with him. And then they were like, okay, how can we blow a load of it <laughs> <laughs> on something that will never make any money? <laughs> uh, no, I just... Yeah, great experience with them. And so, yeah, essentially I took a six-year gap from medicine. And the reason I went back was obviously the band broke up. And I was like, okay, what am I going to do? You know, in terms of making a living. So it was a bit begrudging in some respect. I was never hugely passionate about medicine. It was definitely a bit of a baptism of fire going back. But I, I enjoy it now. I do like it now. Do It was kind of like a national call or the, what, what was it? Like the national calling during COVID. You were like, right, got to get back on the front yeah, line. There's maybe an element of that. Yeah. Although I, it was really tricky to get back because I hadn't done my intern year. And basically, if you don't do your intern year within two years of graduating, you can't practice as a doctor. And uh, they they really were sticklers in that front. And I was like, guys, I thought there was a national, you know, the emergency. Yeah, yeah. The, the most significant public health emergency of our time. Yeah, they like, made a big call, didn't they? Of like, yeah. uh, you know, uh, come come back sort of thing yeah. from out foreign and, and come back and help yeah. and stuff like that. But they were still sticklers for. Yeah, uh, still sticklers. Yeah. And I so I you thought to, you'd get away with it. <laughs> sneak back in. Yeah, I had to go to the UK to work for a year in order to get my sort of competencies like authorized essentially oh, right. yeah yeah so during covid during covid yeah wow. I, I worked in northern ireland for a year and now i'm back working in in ireland yeah 
Well, it's all Ireland, but... <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> Cut uh, that. <laughs> and so now, is it like full-time job? Full-time, yeah. yeah. Yeah? You enjoying it? I am, yeah. I work in I work in St. James's Hospital, and I work with um, in a geriatrics job. So I really like it. Yeah, I love just talking to all the older people and getting all the stories. And it's, <laughs> it's great. Yeah. Are you telling many of them what you do? Like, oh, I'm in a band, you know, you got to come check us out. Yeah, well, they always wonder from the tattoos. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> it's a bit of a giveaway, yeah. You don't have to, like, cut your hair or anything like no. that? No. <laughs> I was like, man, what have you done that's got you feeling so sore? You say that you're good so many times It's got no meaning no more It was a joke to claim There's no heartache, there's no misery or pain At stake, there's no feeling to your life Man, what have you done? Sounds kind of different to the rest of the tracks. I feel like maybe if you want to talk about your influences that you have on the album, you mentioned like Joni Mitchell earlier in mm. terms of songwriting, Circa Richardson. Did you have the idea of what you wanted the album to sound like, like a pop kind of a record? Yeah, I there was no kind of specific directive because I think like I do go through a few different, not necessarily styles, but like each song, it, the, the one thing I really wanted to do was kind of have each song as its own unique little sonic world in a way. Like I've always loved albums when they do that. Not, 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 not a case where, you know, each song is really disparate and unconnected, kind of like when you listen to 975, it's a bit disjointed, I find sometimes. Like I wanted a, a scaled down version of that in the sense that, okay, they're each uniquely identifiable, but they're not like, it doesn't sound like the work of a different band. Even though they do differ kind of uh, quite a bit, I thought the main thread would be okay if I my my voice and the melodies would be kind of quite consistent throughout. So uh, there was no kind of specific influences. I mean, what I was listening a lot to at the time was Jay Paul. He was kind of more so the early stuff. Like I did Bienvenue, which was really kind of a Jay Paul Avalanche's tribute, and Under the Sun with uh, like all the kind of synths and stuff. But then I kind of paired it back. I was listening to more organic music, like I guess Joni Mitchell bit of Fleetwood Mac here and there I think Man What Have You Done For Me is probably the most traditional indie indie anthem on maybe it that, you know? yeah maybe that's why it kind of sounds a little bit different to the rest of the, yeah. the rest of the songs yeah it's very like just straightforward chugging rocker uh, sort of vibe I just want to get a bit sort of spectral towards the end of the track with a kind of there's a bit of a sort of Fleet Foxes-y collage of harmonies going on yeah the outro 
Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was great. I have shimmering written down. Is it? Yeah, yeah, or? that's that's what I was going for, shimmering. Yeah, I wanted to be quite like um, a bit ethereal and kind of like, yeah, shimmering is actually what I had specifically in oh, mind. Great, great. Yeah. Well, it works, it works. <laughs> uh, you're at Electric Picnic this year, aren't you? Yeah. I think I remember seeing on your Instagram that you were saying like really good things about the killers. Am I right yeah. in thinking that? Yeah. Uh, I was going to comment at the time, but then I was like, no, no, we'll t- I'll talk to him on the po- we'll, we'll talk on the podcast about it. Like, I don't understand how the Killers are still like headlining festivals in a way. I love them. Mm. I love that first album. Twenty, it's like twenty years old now, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, yeah. Two thousand four. But, but like, I checked out at at Samstown the song. But I can't believe that they're still really? like, headlining Reading. I'm. I'm at. Mm. Um. I was talking to. Uh, woman who i spotted she was at reading she had the the wristband and she had gone over for 1975 and then she saw the killers were playing after and, and she was just like unbelievable again yeah i was just like how are like young people still listening to the killers what is it about the killers really that, yeah. that you stuck around for i think they're so like i thought i saw i watched their I still watched it. Like they, they, the BBC showed their full Reading or lead set on Saturday night when I was just happened to have some time and there was there was nothing else on. <laughs> so I was watching it and I was like, I don't think his voice sounds that great. Yeah, I'm not sure is he a great lyricist. I'm kind of mm. like, so what is it? I think he's a little too in, indebted to Bruce. I guess. Um, I think so. For me, the first album was was really good. Although I don't really revisit it that often. I do like the the singles, but Sam's... I, I, I'd still stand. I, I'd still stand for Mr. Brightside. I do genuinely oh. like love that song. It's an incredible track. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> um, I think actually Sam Stand. That's one of my favorite albums ever. That was yeah. the one that really clicked for me. Yeah, I mean lyrically, kind of one of the, one of those cases where saying I actually do like the lyrics on that record quite a bit. You know, he he's got that sort of ability to connect with these sort of broad strokes and then these kind of little moments too that are like quite effective but i think if you take it as a whole you'd be like how good is this actually but i think as a melodicist i mean he's fantastic um i would say diminishing returns for the albums subsequent to it apart from like they've probably had the good fortune of having at least one hit on most of the mm, records yeah, right but you know it was actually a really good record and i don't think anybody kind of paid attention to it because it came out at the beginning of covid but they did one called Imploding the Mirage, which was produced by Sean Everett, who does um, The War on Drugs. And they actually wrote a good few of the songs on the album with uh, Adam Grandusiel, I don't know how you pronounce his name, from War on Drugs. So it's kind of like a really poppy version of War on Drugs, the record. And it's got some incredible tracks on it, um, like some of their best stuff in years, like easily, I think, on a on a par with the first album. Like, I think the first album is sort of dated a little bit, whereas this is like really evergreen pop music i think and well worth checking out and what were they like at electric picnic you just incredible it. incredible i thought it was fantastic yeah um like really just like you, you know when you, when a band knows how to put on a show yeah just, just perfect fodder for that kind of setting you know like headliner electric picnic it's kind of like seeing i guess maybe you two or something i mean these are songs that are almost purpose-built to be enjoyed in communion so yeah, I thought it was just a really, really great show. And just the actual stagecraft and all the sort of gimmicks and glitzy stuff that shouldn't really, <laughs> it, it, you know, is kind of like almost Spinal Tap-esque and just gimmicky. <laughs> like it works so well. And someone pulled a flare beside me in the crowd. It was, it was great. Yeah. Dangerous? Yeah. <laughs> and they don't want you anymore, but I do. 
listen to the girl this is another this was the other song that i was thinking of about you know being in a band am i closer in terms of that in this song maybe is this a response to being in a band yeah i'm trying to remember the lyrics of this one <laughs> I'll, uh, the couple of lyrics i've written down they don't want you anyway but i do but don't want it anymore but i do uh, I can hear the song early in the morning. I can hear the drums play without a warning. Mm. And then I just have written down, is this about the end of other games? No. <laughs> I mean, that was, it was really something that was on my mind quite a lot at the time. And I remember, you know, these things kind of become subconscious, don't they? Like you, you don't, you don't necessarily acknowledge it in, in terms of conversation with other people or almost to yourself, but they come out in some way. That's something I'm actually kind of proud of on the album is that uh, I never really thought I was that kind of lyricist but now looking back like some of the songs especially the ones that are really personal I was like wow I was essentially transcribing how I was feeling at that point even though I did not admit it to myself so I think there's nothing explicitly actually I think Man What Have You Done is very explicitly about the kid oh okay yeah and there, I actually have some voice recordings during the kind of dropout parts with the electric piano where they were taken from videos that I made of us on tour and you can hear like each member of the band and some of our friends and that was a kind of response to it like man what have you done in a way because it was such a seismic change for me in my life and you're going to have a bit of almost buyer's remorse in some respects because you never know it's the same when you are involved in a breakup you don't know if it's the right decision and part of you becomes wistful and remorseful well, the other part of you is like, no, that was the right thing to do. So I'm sure a lot of that subconsciously ended up on the record, whether or not I wanted to admit it to myself or not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it sounds like you've still got a good community of people, a uh, music community of people around you, though. It sounds like you're helping David from Otherkin as well when he was building the studio and you you're making music in there as well. Yeah, yeah. And did... um good few like songwriting camps and that kind of thing and I it just that was the one thing that really when when other kid ended that was probably one of the things I missed the most was being part of that community like I found that really enriching and I love just being sort of part of it even if I wasn't necessarily like in the biggest band or writing the best songs like it's just a really um it's just a great community spirit like I remember one of my favorite almost weekends of my life was we did the Circa Richardson songwriting camp down in Grouse Lodge so we, it was during COVID and we went down so it was myself and Surika uh, Pillow Queens Faye from Soda Blonde Saint Sister were there and we just had just an incredible weekend what uh, was it just like Circa just sending out a message just saying like if people want to come down to Grouse Lodge or something yeah or? It, it was basically the, the, it was a government initiative at the time to kind of fund these sort of collaborative songwriting groups and um, so Surika asked me if I wanted to be a part of it and I was of course yes so I think about like 10 or 12 of us went down James Simpson McMorrow was there for a couple of days as well uh, Carlsbad was there Dunks who lives here so we all went down and we set up kind of two rooms so one was like the main studio room which is this beautiful you know the main Grouse Lodge studio room that like that's where you two record is it YouTube yeah they did a bit there, there and, and Michael Jackson it was his residential studio for a while um Sam Fender had done his most recent album just before we went in that was the last one that that had been done and that's obviously gone like supernova and it was just really really magical time because it was kind of in the middle of covid so an exemption was given for this kind of thing so everybody was just so itching to get there like itching yeah. to get there yeah i remember we we wrote one of Circus, the, the the song that became the kind of lead single from her second album, Archie Down There. 
And it was just a really special moment for us all because basically the way that song kind of came about was uh, Circa and Faye and Saint Sister were working in one room and then I was working in another room with um, Pillow Queens and uh, Dunks and Carlsbad I think and the guys had kind of worked out the map of the song Archie I don't know if you know that song but um, it's actually quite dramatically different in terms of like it was a lot faster it started out with Gemma from Saint Sister and Faye doing like you know this sort of uh, like a oh yeah the hand clapping like pa- yeah, yeah hand yeah. clapping sort of thing Paddy, like yeah. school girls would do yeah, yeah yeah and they recorded that and that was like the beat of the song <laughs> so it was a lot more up tempo and I, I I think I said to Circus she should just release that version too like just uh, as a matter of public interest <laughs> so they had a lot of the song done and they invited us in they're like what do you think of this track and we were like really excited about it and we were like this is such a it's just such a fantastic song and there was just real magic in the air as well from all of us being down there and then I remember me and James were helping out with the bridge because they were kind of having difficulty. We don't know what to do with the bridge. So I remember that was the one thing me and him were kind of working on for a good bit. Then like eventually like completely came together and just one of those, you know, electricity in the air moments when we were all just sitting there listening to it. And we were all decently buzzed as well because we'd been <laughs> drinking and doing whatnot. <laughs> and what did you get out of the weekend? Like yourself musically, was it just seeing how other people work in a way? Yeah, that was a really kind of inspiring thing for me was just to be part of that sort of environment. And I think I came home and wrote like a good bit of songs for the Blood Donor stuff. Uh, I didn't really write much Blood Donor stuff down there. We still have everything collected and there's some really strong stuff. I think Archie is probably one of the only songs that actually has become fully formed out of it. But to be fair, that's worth the return on the investment, (laughs) you know, if you get like the kind of lead single for your second album. That idea of collaboration is kind of one of the grounding principles of Sounds from a Safe Harbour, which I was at one one of the days a couple of weeks ago down in Cork. But they bring musicians from all over the world. But I was just thinking after it, like all of the musicians say they got so much out of it. But I was just thinking in my head, man, it'd be so great if there were, you know, if more Irish artists kind of did this sort mm-hmm. of thing. And there are a couple of things that are, are done, like Hibernical does this. There's mm-hmm. Hotel Doolin as well, kind of does that sort of thing. I think I would hope that Irish acts maybe are kind of open to working with you know acts who they don't know or people who like they aren't best mates with as well I think that it could open open their ears in a way to like a new sound or something like that I think collaboration is important like for for a band or like a a solo act as well yeah for sure yeah really enriching experiences Baby No More. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. I think this was on the EP earlier earlier in the year as well, wasn't that, it? It was the Baby No More EP. Yeah, that's right. And that 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 that's kind of the one where I was really kind of in my peak Joni era. And I actually re- referenced her on the track because she had this beautiful lyric about... Um, and this, this is one of those songs that retrospectively, because uh, my relationship that I was in at the time, which has since ended, 
this was kind of preceded that breakup by quite a while and now when I consider that song I'm like it was there you know like that feeling um, because it's about the end of a, a relationship I was just as I said a Joni obsessive at the time just read her biography was listening to virtually everything that she's done well not everything she has so much stuff but um, the early Joni which I really loved if you've ever read any of her interviews or seen them I mean she's such a a starkly unique and articulate and intelligent person like she sees beyond the veil the whole time like there's absolutely no bullshitting her she's really just insightful and piercing she had the story about how she was with Graham Nash from uh, Crosby Stills Nash and Young at the time and uh, they were pretty madly in love but um, she broke up with him I think she was in Crete at the time and they were on the phone you know he was like why why has this happened like why have we broken up and she said you, you've held me in your hand like, like sand and grip it too tightly and the sand will slip through your fingers and just such a poetic vision that she has so that was part of my line was um, we were like falling sand slipping through a tightening hand Joni said it better oh man we were in love so yeah I, I, I like this track it's um, I love the the kind of synths it's, it's one of those ones when I'm talking about the kind of building the mood or the world of a song like I, I think it's one that I'm really proud of from that respect it's got this sort of not like a cold atmosphere but it's got this gloomy atmosphere but it's also like quite open and it acknowledges the good times that were had in the relationship too um like all those kind of warbling um synths kind of give this sort of wistful element to it it's one of those songs that also live i've been like oh this really goes down well because i think it's the bass the bass <laughs> kicks in towards the end it kind of like rocks out of it it's probably one of my favorite tracks on the record and one that people kind of Highlight is one of their favorites, even though I didn't initially. Initially, I was actually a little bit cold on it because of, I think, just because of how I recorded it. Like, I'm a, a very much an amateur hobbyist music producer, uh, and I produced it all essentially myself to kind of like varying results. Some of the stuff that I, like waking up in the emergency room, I listen to that and I'm like, wow, I'm really proud of how I rendered the recordings on that. But Baby No More is one where I'm like, oh, I maybe didn't do as good a job as I could have done. But, um, people still seem to kind of gravitate towards that song more so than the other one I mentioned (laughs) listening back to the album as a whole like say when you got the record and you're listening to it is it colored by the relationships that you're singing about you know like you're in a relationship and it's since ended since listening to the album or is it all like you're that that's not you're not thinking about it in a way yeah I'm not thinking about it hugely, but it probably... I mean, I haven't listened to it fully since the relationship broke up. Oh, So okay. maybe maybe that would... Um, yeah, like I feel I feel now when I... I haven't done that many live shows, but I know that when I sing like Baby No More next, it'll be very... It'll have that in the back of your head. Yeah, or... totally, yeah. Because it, it's very like an... It's a very honest song. And that's that's one where there's no real kind of fictional element to it. You know, I know that when I sing it next, it'll probably hit me a bit because it was a very long relationship and um, it's all in that song too. So, yeah, check in with me after my next gig. (laughs) (laughs) You doing okay? Yeah. Near to Heaven is the longest song on the album. It took over five minutes. Mm. Enjoy recording this one. Yeah, this was... I I mean, if if you actually look at the... I have this weird thing now when I write songs, I always... You know, you don't really have a sense of how long the song is while you're writing it. But then when I do a demo, I find every time I look at it, it's either three, it's between 3.15 or 3.30 in terms of song length. Like, it's almost as though I have this internal sense of how long a pop song should be. 
And this is the only one really on the record that goes kind of um, like I think there's one that's maybe four minutes, but everything else is pretty much between three, like three minutes and three thirty, like almost to a fault. But I think this one, just because of the, na- the nature of the song, like it's quite, uh, it's a bit like psychedelic at times. Um, especially there's like a guitar solo that goes on for about two minutes. But that was seriously fun to record. That was one that like, I kind of listen to now. I'm like, how did I actually do that? Because <laughs> I'm not very good on guitar. Like I think I have a, maybe a bit of like an idiosyncratic style. Like it's a bit kind of clunky almost. But with that one, I was just like wailing. <laughs> That's great, yeah. yeah. Yeah, lots of wailing on the album. Lots of wailing, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that was... And, and lots of also fade-outs too. I'm not sure if you noticed the fade-outs. Oh, okay. Which are... And that was... Uh, I was initially... Mo- or someone, I think uh, David from The Cope told me, he was like, you should call the album Fade-Out because nobody does fade-outs. Like, they haven't been a thing since the 60s or 70s, essentially. I mean, it's probably sporadically kind of come back into fashion, but... Just like fading out as the as the song is still going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah pretty yeah. much. Like most of the songs on the record fade out, apart from this one actually. And I, I remember like looking into it. I wanted to do a bit of research into the fade out and where it's gone. And uh, they they did they did some studies and they found that people were more likely to be tapping their feet for a longer period of time for songs that faded out as opposed to ones that ended abruptly. Wow, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like I'm trying to think of some of my favorite pop songs. Ask by the Smiths, Fade Out. She bring she bangs the drums by Stone Roses, Fade Out. And it, it kind of um especially with all the sixties pop stuff, it kind of gives you that sense of you know, the unending bliss of pop. You know, like you're just in this sort of transcendental state and it just will go on for time immemorial. Mm. So I'm not sure if I was trying to do that with my music. But uh yeah, I love a good fade out. Yeah, maybe you haven't figured out how to finish this song. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's it. It's too much work. <laughs> Gibson Power is the final song. Do you want to talk about this? Mm, yeah, that, that's um, kind of a sort of trip hoppy, really moody. Um, I think I was listening to a lot of Massive Attack at the time. It was one that was going to be an Otherkin song because it was kind of in that world of the. It, it's industrial at times. It has like really acerbic sort of um, synth sounds at times. That was the one that I was really proud of. I thought um, just as a song, it's really. I, I'm not able to really do Radiohead even though they're one of my favorite bands but that's probably one of the more Radiohead-y moments of it just this kind of like alternative guitar song with these again that sort of idea of setting a mood or setting like building a world like it's really kind of almost like an oppressive sounding song but was really happy with how that all came out it's really it's weird it's like one of those songs that you can kind of like touch in a way or something and again more wailing on guitar (laughs) it's a real it's a real kind of producer song I think like a lot of it was like how do I actually rendered this sound that I have in my head and I had to do like a lot of kind of creative things in terms of there's an atmospheric track on the like one of the tracks on the song is uh, uh literally I entitled it Atmo <laughs> and what I did was I got the entire instrumental song and then fed it into another track 
but delayed and reverb the whole thing and then just used it as a bit of a sound bed to kind of like to just kind of bolster the track in a way and it gives it this real weird sort of disquieting feeling and there's a lot of discordant guitar notes and moments in the track and the idea of kind of using tension and release like I want people to feel a bit unsettled by it I was really happy with how with how that came out I felt like I I kind of got to that on it great so that's uh the first Blood Donor album, Auto Fiction. It sounds like you've already got another one pretty much yeah, yeah. done, ready to go. Is it in a similar vein? Are you able to it's, talk about it too much? So the first Blood Donor album was like quite produced, you know, as I was saying, in, the, in terms of the idea of building like the disparate sonic worlds. Like it was very much, okay, I know how to produce or I not know how to, but I can produce music and I'm going to like indulge my whims here. Whereas this new one is very much like the brief for me was to have it to be very close and like intimate. It's a further extension of that idea of just like having the song, you know, like, you know, you know, you, you know, you hear a song and there's loads of cool things going on, but you're like, there's no actual song here. Like, it's just, um, and that's actually kind of, I don't want to be an old man yells at cloud now, but um, some of my gripes with modern pop music is that I feel like we've sort of lost the sensibility for like proper songwriting, like proper, you know, narrative journeys in the music, be that melodically or lyrically. Like when I hear a lot of stuff, I'm like, what? This is, it's it, uh, like the music sounds focus grouped. Like I can almost see how people went into this writing camp together or like, you know, the way they do these kind of collaborations. And some guy had a four bar loop and then someone just sings top lines over it and it's like there's no actual song here it's just this a series of catchy moments that was essentially designed to catch your ear on TikTok again i know this is very old man yells the cloud and i know i don't think that music is worse than it was like there's still loads of amazing stuff being made but unfortunately it's nowhere near the mainstream uh, that's a separate issue <laughs> but uh yeah so for me it was like okay it's just songs i'm just going to write the songs so instead of With the first album, what I did a lot was I wrote the songs as I recorded them. And then, you know, like certain, I do certain things on the guitar or have a sound uh, that would be coming into my headphones. And I'm like, oh, this will translate into this new part of the the song because it's got such a unique tone or whatever. Um, So it's kind of like writing and recording as I went. Whereas this one is all like written, just kind of, kind of more so in my head, actually. Like I do a lot of it, like when I'm in work. I shouldn't say that. Um, but I like I do a lot of the, um, you know, just the tightening of the melodies and um, lyrically now, like a lot of it, I've had a lot of um, uh, inspiration in my personal life for lyrics. <laughs> so, yeah, I have it. I have it all pretty much done. I just need to finish up the lyrics and then I want to work with someone. I'm actually actually going to work with somebody now just to really uh, like bring it to the next level in terms of the audio clarity, like probably the first album because it's all home done there's almost a, maybe a bit of a limitation I mean it sounds the way I wanted to but I'd love to like step it up in terms of just making a like a world-class audio experience for people so yeah I need to I need to get recording essentially but it's pretty much all done and I'd love to just I just want to like sit down and just do it because I feel like a bit of momentum at this point like, like, not in terms of people's attention on me. Like, I don't think anybody actually listens to me. But, I mean, from internally, I feel like a drive, you know. What about fade-outs? There no fade-outs yeah. in this, actually. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think the reason why the fade-outs became such a thing is because, as I said, I was writing and recording at the same time. So I would get to a point of, like, okay, the song is three and a half minutes long. 
and I've recorded all this, so I'll just fade it out. Uh, whereas with this one, all the songs are pretty much written, and they, they seem to end of their own volition. It's weird, it's, it's a totally different album in some respect. A lot of the instrumentation will be more kind of traditional, like less production the elements. I mean, it'll probably actually come out with those when I do sit down and do it, but it's definitely more of like a songs album. I'm really excited for people to hear it when it's done because I know if I render it correctly, it's going to be something that I'm really, really proud of. Just just good songs. Cool, cool. Well, uh, I look forward to hearing it in due course, but thanks for talking us through autofiction and best of luck with it. Yeah, thanks. She gives me power And call me a coward But she gives me demons I swear I can see them She gives me honey Sweet and runny She gives me color Smoker.